You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. What you are about to hear is real. The prophets wrote of a time when the signs of the end would be seen. This is where Bible prophecy and current events collide. This is Unsealed. Uh, yes, indeed, this is Unsealed. Uh, welcome back. Christopher Manti is me. Uh, I think I think it's me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, no, welcome back, friends. Uh, as always, it's a wonderful pleasure and blessing to be able to do this uh, with you and to come to you uh, every week on this, what we're calling the second season of Unsealed, where we are talking to um, my friends, uh, to friends that the Lord has brought uh, into my path or the uh, ministry's path over the past few years. Um, and it's a great honor to be able to speak with folks like this. And today, wonderful uh, brother who, you know, like when you meet someone um, and you have this, you know, instant connection and then you feel like you've known them for much longer than you actually have. So uh, I was just trying to think, Alfadi, when we met, it was just in uh, 2019 at the um, Understanding the Times conference. Is that is that your recollection? Oops, there he is. Hey, Alfadi, are you there? Sorry about that. Yeah, I am here. Yep. I, I muted you. So brood of me. So I think I have it right. Did we meet at the Understanding the Times in 2019 conference? Yes, that was the first time I met. And uh, praise the Lord, uh, you know, you and I kind of like uh, felt the Lord is calling us to do collaborative work uh, ministry wise. And since then, uh, we've been doing work together, uh, online conference and uh, other things that you're doing behind the scene also. Amen. And that's, you know, obviously that's what I want to do and love to do, but the real um, impact is from yourself. So uh, who is Alfadi, first of all? Uh, just a real quick bit about who you are and what is what is Sira International? Uh, what, what are these What are these things, Alfadi? I'll give you the, the, sh- the quick answer right now, and then we can probably expand further. Like uh, Al-Fadi, by the way, is short for Abdul Fadi, and it uh, sounds Arabic or Islamic name, when in fact, uh, while Muslims use uh, names like Abdullah, Abdul Aziz, uh, and the likes, when I accepted Christ in 2001, a couple of years later, I was offered an opportunity to appear on satellite programming for the first time that airs in the Middle East. It was an Arab show, Arabic show run by a former Muslim by the name of Brother Rashid. Uh, probably many people know of him, at least know of him now. And um, when he asked me to, to appear uh, after you know, much prayers and considerations, I felt peace about the idea. Uh, me and my wife decided that it's, uh, you know, if God called me to do this in media, let's do it. But obviously for the safety of my family and the safety also of my family in Saudi, I, I wanted to, um, you know, honor them by not uh, putting them at risk. Uh, leaving Islam as is, is risky and could be even a dangerous endeavor for me. So I didn't want to expose them as well. And I wanted to choose a name 
that is uh, ministry-oriented, but a name that I can live with that represents my new faith. And uh, that's when I, uh, you know, uh, came across this uh, idea of calling myself Abdul Fadi, servant of the Redeemer. Fadi is the Arabic word for Redeemer. Believe it or not, um, in Islam, there is this idea that the God of Islam have 99 beautiful names. And that's why people call themselves after those names, Abdullah, meaning servant of Allah, Abdul Aziz, servant of one of his names, and so on and so forth. In this case, uh, he doesn't have uh, the name Redeemer, actually. So I uh, wanted to choose this uh, as a way moving forward. And uh, I don't want to bore you with a long story, but uh, in, in 2011, I was asked uh, to appear on Fox News to talk about a book project that I was involved in called The Quran Dilemma. And they asked for my name, and I gave them the name Abdul Fadi, and they chose my name. Uh, they, they thought my name was Al, so they, they picked Al as the name, and they put it on the screen. It was too late to change, obviously, but uh, the funny part is Al Fadi means the Redeemer. So you have the Redeemer on your show right now, bro. I do expect nothing less uh, than the, the actual Redeemer from heaven. Uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Like, well, who is that, Paul Simon? You can call me Al? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. my favorite song. <laughs> that's right who knew who knew oh man excellent so yeah that's what i think obviously would set would set you apart from most folks um most christians really uh especially here uh, in the western world which is most of us g- grow up like this right we we either attend a church or 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 taught about these things and maybe we leave later on in life or whatever or maybe our family is uh, not so uh, committed to the religion or, or what have you, but uh, n- not many folks um, have the experience of cho- actively choosing to follow Jesus at a at a cost, right? Um, here it's yeah. just like, well, whatever you want to believe, you believe. Everyone leaves you alone. That's the that's the social contract that we have. But uh, obviously, in your case, uh, being from Saudi. Um, Different story, right? Totally different story. It's it's a complete, it's a complete change of of everything, right? Is it doesn't um, if for folks who don't understand, what does what is describe how much Islam is um, um, saturates all, you know, facets of a person's life. Absolutely, um, you know, the idea of having uh, something called freedom of choice or freedom of expression, or freedom of religion, or freedom altogether under uh, Islamic thought is, is really something foreign. And, uh, you know, Muslims believe that obedience to Allah and his commands is the best freedom they can have, freedom from sin, uh, freedom from uh, committing idolatry against him, and hoping for the best. Really, I mean, to follow Islam like any other uh, basically work-based religion, it's like you're rolling the dice, hoping for the best at the end of the day. And salvation in Islam is after the fact. What I mean by that is you die, you face Allah, he judges you, and then, best of luck if he likes what you have done, even if he likes one thing you've done, and then you'll be going to uh, basically heaven or hell. So it, it is this kind of mentality you grow up in. So the idea of leaving Islam is taboo. Why? I mean, again, you're dealing with an honor and shame culture, primarily, at least in the Middle East. 
And, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the Bible, by the way, is, is perfect for Muslims. I tell them that all the time because it's written for Semitic people. I mean, mm, it's, uh, right. it captures the honor and shame and all that kind of aspect. But leaving Islam means you're leaving the pack. You're leaving the group. Mm. So not only you are isolating yourself now, but you are also shaming your family and your family name and your tribe. And therefore, uh, people in that culture in order to honor uh, themselves and honor their God and honor their authority, they have to mock you now and they have to mock your family. And, and therefore, the family have to also to turn their back on you because they want to show everybody else that, hey, uh, we're on the side of Islam against even our own. So that's where the risk comes from. The idea that you can leave Islam if you want to, leave at your own risk, literally. But, um, you know, once you do this, uh, you are now exposing yourself. And hence... The idea of trying to have a different identity now, the idea of hiding, uh, as some people do, the idea of keeping it quiet, as some others uh, do as well. When I accepted Islam in 2001, I honestly thought I was the only guy from Saudi who was a believer. Uh, then immediately, it was brought up to my attention that a woman accepted Christ, and uh, her name is Fatma Mutheri, and eight months or nine months later, her brother and father discovered this. They were part of the religious police. She was actually from the town where the religious police founder actually uh, came from 200 years earlier. And uh, so they, they're talking about taking t- pride in, in serving Islam, and they killed her. And mm-hmm. the same brother Rashid who brought the news to me that she accepted Christ in December of 2007 was the one who told me in August of 2008 that she was killed. And uh, little that I knew, here is another connection between you and I, uh, Tom Doyle was the one who wrote about her mm. in one of his books, mm-hmm. uh, Visions and Dreams, or Dreams and Visions, I think it's called. And, right. uh, you know, he and I ever since been, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> friends and uh, connected on account of this. So to answer your question really about the fact that there is risk, absolutely. Today, I am uh, honored to say that I served with a lot of Saudi believers, but Amen. it would have been like this early on. The reason why there is openness now, uh, the the culture we're living in, obviously, have made it possible. Social media made it possible. YouTube made it possible. Um, uh, Just having Internet access made it possible for them to search. And also, we have many platforms to communicate. So there are a lot of Saudi believers. But still, even with this type of openness that we have, they still maintain secrecy. They try to be careful not to expose themselves or their families. And, and that's really my prayer is that uh, we will move from this phase to the next phase where things will be out in the open. Amen. Yeah, I totally concur with you there. What, uh, if you don't want to answer this, don't. Um, just generally speaking, what, what percentage of Saudi believers are still in country? That's the toughest question, brother, not because I want to hide it from you. Um, you know, when somebody leaves Islam anywhere in the world, they're not going to raise their hand and say, hey, by the way, count me in, in your uh, you know, census. They're not right. going to do that. Right. So it, you only go by the network that you're connected with, uh, the knowledge that is there. But I don't, I don't want to also expose people, but I can tell you, if you ask me right now, uh, are we talking 200 to 300 people that are, uh, uh, everybody's aware of? I would say yes, with conviction. But I know there is more. And we know that simply because Thousands of Bibles have been distributed to Saudis who called and asked specifically for copies of the Bible mm. to be sent to them. Mm. 
And we know of thousands who've been watching my videos, thousands who've been uh, uh, basically interacting with some of our posts in the Arabic, uh, you know, uh, side of Facebook. So I would say personally, it will be safe to assume we're talking up to 50,000 Saudis that are believers at different levels of their walk, of course, you know, mm-hmm. here is the danger. If you accept Christ secretly and you remain a secret believer, you're not going to grow. I mean, it's just That's hard right. for you to grow. Yes. Uh, but again, God knows the heart, of course. I mean, the idea is that they're mm-hmm. believers. So I would, I would personally say 50,000 uh, is a realistic number in a country of 34 million. Well, praise God. I mean, that you can't really, other than North Korea, it would be tough to find, up to this point, a more closed, right? nation where it would be so difficult to have access generally to get yeah, information I mean, absolutely i mean you're you're talking about three nations in the world that are very 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 closed um north korea is always at the top iran is second mm-hmm. and you can make a case that saudi is third believe it or not both iran and saudi are starting to open up a little bit especially saudi but they have even more believers in there than you would ever imagine, simply because oppression leads people to seeking freedom. Mm. And uh, freedom in Christ is the best thing that they can find, of course, if they know that that's uh, the ultimate, uh, uh, basically, choice that they go after. Oftentimes, you have people who leave Islam and call themselves atheists. Believe it or not, there is a large movement mm. among Muslims, and young Muslims, I should say, uh, some estimated up to uh, 2 million uh, in the Arab world that are uh, uh, self-proclaimed atheists. And uh, here's the interesting part, uh, you know, brother. Uh, you can go to your family in Saudi and say, I'm an atheist. They're not going to blink an eye. They'll say, oh, poor guy, he's going through a phase right now. That's right. it. You know, I mean, they're not going to say right. anything. Yeah. But if you say, hey, I left Islam and I followed Jesus, man, they'll be the first to persecute you. I mean, immediately. Uh, because... To them, atheism is just a phase. You're still a Muslim, like it or not. You're born that way, you know? But to say, I am a follower of Jesus, they know now you left Islam altogether. And to say, I got baptized, oh, Lord. That's the end of that. Wow. Well, that's the, I mean, that's kind of what it's supposed to be, isn't it? From a Christian point of view. Yeah, you you know, you're declaring war on the the, the false gods and and all that stuff. And you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm with Jesus. I don't care who knows. Um, well, yeah, praise I, God. I, mean, I, know, brother, I, I, I like what you mentioned about comparing here in the West or in this case, the U.S. and, and back home, for instance, in the Middle East. You're absolutely right, brother. Uh, it really uh, makes my heart ache that uh, we have so much freedom in here, so much liberty to make choices that other parts of the world doesn't. And yet uh, it seems to me lately that we are not using these choices widely. That's all I want to say. Well, feel free to say more. Uh, quick story. So I have neighbors literally two doors down from me who are Malaysian uh, Muslims. And so even to often, and in fact today, I got some food brought over. Awesome food, by the way. Um, awesome. Oh, of course. Of course. Can you send us some, some bro? I mean, no. No, can, I can't. Can no. Uh, no. Amazon, Amazon can send it in 24 hours. Though. I don't think so. I don't care if they could. I'm not sending it. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Uh, but the, the point is, um, right, you take advantage of this, uh, what the Lord yes, has provided yes. to you, right? What, a, what an opportunity. Um, literally, yes, I mean, people I'm on your street. You. Yeah, go ahead. 
no, no, I'm sorry, finish your thought on it, then I'll add to it. Well, no, no, no thought other than, like, just to give an example of what you're saying is, you know, look at the, look at the melting pot uh, that we are here in America where that can even happen versus what you're talking that, about. That is absolutely correct. And I have a passage in front of me. I mean, I love this passage from Act 17, verses 24 to 27. And I'm going to read it right now. And I, obviously, the context is that Paul was in Athens. And Paul was basically uh, making his case to uh, some of the Athenians. And it says that uh, in verse 16, now Paul, while was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he observed that the city was full of idols. And that's really what I tell people. Please, please pray that the Lord will provoke your spirit when you look at your neighbors around you who are worshiping idols. Some will claim an idol, uh, some will claim a God that is unseen, like in the case of Islam, still an idol. You know, he's not the true God. And others literally have idols in their home, and they're worshiping those idols. So he began to, it says that he began to reason, you know, in the synagogues of the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day. And that's what I love about the spirit uh, of evangelists like Paul, because he took the opportunity. Hey, I'm here surrounded by people that do not know the truth. And as a result of this, I'm going to pick on that opportunity. In other words, um, let, me, let me bring it home, brother. Ramadan just ended. You know? Uh, yeah. you know, Muslims were celebrating Ramadan for 30 days. And about a day or two uh, earlier, it ended depending on which part of the world you're in. I tell people, why don't you capitalize on this? A Muslim will say, I'm fasting. Great. Let's talk about that. Right. Why do you fast? How did you fast? Uh, how do you fast? And who commanded you to fast? Oh, man, let me, oh, wow, it sounds like, you know, did you know that Jesus fasted for 40 days? Mm. I mean, let mm. me talk, do you know why Jesus fasted for 40 days? I mean, you see, building bridges, brother, to the gospel, we have to capitalize on these opportunities. But here's what I love about how Paul made the case about why God sent the Malaysian people uh, as your neighbors, brother. Yes. Why were they there? Why did he bring me from Saudi to the U.S.? And then connected me with a single couple who shared truth with me. And then I separated from them within months. And 12 years later, the seed that God used them to plant came to fruition. And I became a believer. And I started looking for them. Ten years later, so 22 years span, I found this couple, have moved to a couple of states already. And when I connected with them, the first thing they said, we've been praying for you this month in our prayer group <laughs> for 22 years. They yeah. did not cease to stop praying, but they capitalized on the opportunity. And here's what the passage says in Romans, I mean, in Acts 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, basically, since he is the Lord of heavens and does not dwell in temples made by hands. And I looked at this one time and I says, man, I was worshiping a God that I thought he dwells in a temple made by hands. That mm -hmm. temple that Muslims basically bow to and, and face all the time. Mm -hmm. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life, and that's important, and breath and all things. And brothers, I tell people, your neighbor is breathing every day because God graciously gave him that ability to breathe and to live today, mm -hmm. but he has a purpose for their life also. He desires for all men to be saved, and they are included in that. Mm -hmm. Because verse 26 begins to uh, expand that. 
And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And obviously the one man is Adam. And some translations will say he made from one man all the families of the earth. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. that translation. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, we are related to one another, humanly speaking. We Mm -hmm. all come from the same parents, Adam and Eve. That's why we all inherited the original sin from them also, you know. Uh, Thanks, Dad, you know. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, all, all that to say is that God has a purpose. Notice what the purpose is, that... Uh, basically, they are living on all the face of the earth. And you know that the, the other example of this, by the way, is the Tower of Babel. God was really irritated and upset with the people that they wanted to station themselves. And he says, no, you have to spread out all over the earth. That's the plan. Why? Verse 27 now will help us with that. But I'm going to finish 26. says, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. What does that mean? God says, Al-Fadi, I'm going to send it to you. You're going to live in this neighborhood for the next seven months, and you will be surrounded by certain people. And within that seven months, God sent me that couple hmm. who took advantage of the fact that I was their neighbor. And 27 says, why? He brought me there for that period of time in that specific location that they would see God if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he is not far from them. And you know what's, what happened, brother? I thought I was following the true God, but then that couple reminded me that maybe I'm not following him. And I began to see God. And I began to be touched because the word feel here literally is being touched by God. And how are we touched by God? Through the lives of believers around us. And finally, I found him. This is why God brought that Malaysian, uh, basically, neighbor near you, brother, near you and near other believers as well. And he's just one example of many that God is bringing uh, to uh, different places, surrounding them by believers, so that they will be without excuse, by the way, you know. Right. People tell me, oh, well, what if my neighbor didn't know about Christ? Well, gee, did you share Christ with him? You know, yeah. uh, uh, do you think he, they didn't hear about Christ? They don't know about ex-Muslims who are sharing testimonies? Um, so it, it goes both ways. Right. Like you say, now it's up to them. I mean, our job is to plant the seed, to, to be faithful, to see, so they can see the Lord in us. And then it's their call. Um, like you say, then the Lord will touch them. And then it's up to him to do the work. We don't do much of anything, really, right? We just be Amen. faithful to what Amen. we know, <laughs> and that's it. Uh, we're, we're talking to Al Fadi, by the way, uh, a wonderful uh, brother in the Lord. He keeps calling me brother, and uh, I'm honored to be to be that, because his journey is certainly uh, not the easiest in the world. So I did want to—first of all, you brought up the word tribe when you were talking about the, you know coming out of it from your homeland. Uh, that's not an expression. That's a literal thing. To, to be able, like you say, the Semitic peoples, right? We're talking about um, people on the Arabian Peninsula or even to Israel and the Jews and whatever. The, the, the tribal identification is a very real thing, right? Because, uh, again, for Europeans or people here in the West, we don't do that. We're just like, well, that's our last name and who knows what it means and who knows. I can't trace my lineage back even three generations. Uh, but when you're a part of a yeah. tribe, it goes, it's very, very much a part of your life, right? Absolutely. Well, case in point, 
Do you know that the name Saudi or Saudi Arabia is actually traced back to the founder of the Saud family, Mohammed bin Saud? So you're named Saudi after Mohammed bin Saud and the royal family will call themselves Al Saud or the House of Saud after him. So there you go. Right there, there is this identity. Right. You can't even just call it Arabia, right? It's Saudi Arabia. It's That's our right. place. In yeah. reference to the founder. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, the, I just wanted to drive home f- to the folks that it's not just saying, well, like my tribe is the Philadelphia Eagles or something. It's a, it's very, very, very much ingrained. And you, you it's known where you're from, you know, your family, your tribe. That's why it's such a big deal. Part of the reason, right? It's such a big deal when you leave and you and you follow Jesus that your whole tribe now is tainted by you. Right. Now, how right. dare you know, they? They have one of those people in there. We have to, t- you know. So it's nine times out of ten, like you say, it's actually your closest, either relatives or your family or tribes members that are really going to do the persecuting and really going to um, be after you and potentially even harm you or kill you, like the sister you were referring to earlier. Um, but that shouldn't shock us. It does, I think, no. but it shouldn't, right? Not at all. Didn't the Lord tell Not us this? Not at all, brother. Exactly. And, and you know, uh, brother, what did Matthew do uh, when he started his uh, gospel? He started with something that I think many people skip over, you know? I mean, I, I, I laugh every time you go to First Chronicles, like, oh, uh, dear Lord, I mean, first, yeah. a few chapters are done. You know, Correct. nobody's going to even read skip, them. Skip that. And why, why the genealogy? It's a big deal for Semitic people, big deal for Arabs genealogy and look it started by dropping two big names jesus the messiah the son of david wow the son of abraham oh dear lord you know right and then a whole list of generations you know that i train people on on you know and i know you're familiar with that because you assisted me in one of these seminars we train people on using genealogy to open the door for the gospel with arabs and gulf arabs and saudis because this makes sense to them. It's a big deal. This is one of those things you can learn from someone who's been there. Uh, praise God for it, too. And so, uh, right, isn't, isn't to be from the, the tribe of Muhammad, isn't that a big deal? It isn't, um, you know, uh, once upon a time and maybe in the future, isn't, you know, the leader of the, of the Ummah, don't you have to be a relative or, or uh, some kind of relation to the tribe of Muhammad? Yes, uh, I mean, uh, believe it or not, there are people that relate back to Muhammad, uh, at least that's the claim in Mecca. I met a few of them uh, who take pride in that. There are a couple of uh, people also who relate uh, to a specific tribe that is in charge of maintaining the Kaaba uh, for the last 14 centuries. Uh, There are people that also will claim that they are from the family of Muhammad and they have a special status. And if they can prove it, they get a certificate for that. And they're treated differently. But all that to say, also, a, a caliph, a caliph, an Islamic caliph, has to prove that they are related to the tribe of Muhammad. That's why, by the way, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, uh, for instance, uh, uh, tried to make that claim that he right. is from the tribe of Quraysh, because that's under the Sharia law mandate. You cannot be a caliph without having association with the tribe of Muhammad. So it continues to be a, a thing. <laughs> Right, throughout society. Yeah. And when you say caliph or, or the khilafah, right? Am I saying that right? Khilafah? Yeah, well, khilafah or caliphate, that's the state itself. 
that's the uh, uh, you know the Islamic State. Mm-hmm. But then the caliph is the one who is the leader of the caliphate. And and by the way, Khalifa, that's the Arabic. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say Khalifa, what does that mean? You're a successor. Successor of who? Muhammad. Is he? Yeah. That's why you have to be part of his family, basically. Uh, that too. And also successor of his teaching. Mm. representing him technically speaking mm-hmm. i mean somebody will say oh oh this is like uh uh caliph number 105 uh, so he must be the successor of 104 no they're all successors of muhammad right so it's kind of like the pope in that way right if if you're if you know the catholic uh, tradition and, and all it's being a successor of peter uh you're representing there you go jesus on the yeah, earth the and, yeah that is that is. I mean, I, I don't want to claim that I know all details about how that hap, uh, works, but you're right. I mean, he is the victor. You know, uh, he is the representative of Peter. Uh, he's kind of like representing Christ, mm-hmm. uh, technically speaking, on earth. Yeah, people. Uh, some who don't know about this, this whole Caleb business, and a lot of folks want this back, don't they? Yes, they want it back for the simple reason. Uh, I mean, uh, even a rational, reasonable Muslim will say, listen, uh, Islam is supposed to be one ummah, one community, technically speaking, Mm -hmm. one state. The fact that we are divided like this is not good for the faith itself, not good for the followers of Islam, and people stumble as a result of this. Now, they don't blame themselves for it. They blame the West. They say the, the West colonized us, you know, and separated us and divided us, and that's why everybody was excited when ISIS showed up. And then all of a sudden the excitement faded a little bit because ISIS was going way crazy overboard with what they were doing. And now the young generation got excited about ISIS like, man, oh, yeah, that's what I want to follow. Yeah, it's all about bravery. It's all about being bold, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other Muslims are nothing but weak people. And, and ISIS created division, actually, rather than unity. And it began to classify those who follow us are true Muslims. Those who don't follow us, they're just basically hypocrites and they are fake Muslims. And hence, you began to see attacks uh, from the ISIS, uh, basically, uh, organization against even Islamic nations. Mm-hmm. Right. But the, the, like you say, the, the desire for it is not turned off. I mean, you regular folks no. desire it greatly, no. right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when you hear that ISIS has been defeated, I'm like, big deal. Okay. ISIS defeated, mm-hmm. Al-Qaeda defeated. Uh, I don't care who you call get defeated. The ideology is alive and kicking. So what? Yeah, amen. We do have to remember that, don't we? And and this, 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 this caliph, the one who, I mean, the pope is part of it, but he's also like a general, right? And he's also like the president, right? Or the king. Like all in one guy. That's Is that correct. Right? Yeah. But I mean, in all fairness, you know, I know that the church in his, its history has some wacko popes. You know, I get it. Uh, but in general, a pope is not going to tell the church, hey, rise up, take arms, and go and invade. Right. The caliph will do this. You know, one of the mottos of ISIS is that we are borderless state. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Meaning we don't have borders. We got to keep on going, man. We got to keep on growing. We take vitamins every day, and we keep on growing. <laughs> Well, that's that's why they call it the Islamic State, right? It's not just they're not limiting to themselves to a place. They were just all Muslims should join us. That was their, that was their rallying cry. Is, you're not kidding, brother. The caliph is technically speaking the leader over the Muslim world and all Muslims anywhere in the world. 
You know, so the Muslim world is one thing. Every Muslim anywhere in the world, mm. he still have to have allegiance to him. And therefore, anywhere Muslims are, one day we're going to get there officially and make it part of our kingdom. Wow. And let's not put that out of the realm of possibility in our future, right? If, if we were to well, see and, such and, a thing. Yeah, end times, by the way. I mean, I know we didn't want to venture into that in detail, <laughs> I said I wouldn't try, but there we basically, go. Basically, yeah. But that's basically what it is. The, the concept of end times, um, you know, uh, the, the, the Islamic eschatology feeds heavily into that. The idea of a restoration of the Islamic kingdom, the Islamic caliphate, uh, the idea of a caliph, the idea of Jesus being the prophet, you know, for them, the idea of the guided one, at least, who is a big deal in the Shia thoughts versus the Sunni thoughts, but they both believe that he will be there. But all that to say is that ISIS thought they were fulfilling these kind of prophecies. In mm-hmm. fact, one of the, the reason why they chose Raqqa as their capital, because of reasons like this, because there is this tradition that Raqqa is going to become the final holding place for the last caliphate and then it says that the nations will rise against them and they will be defeated meaning the nations will be defeated Mm. not isis Mm -hmm. and yet it says that the first phase one third of the islamic power is going to be killed and then one third is going to be intimidated and leave and the last one third will be victorious so when the news uh, outlets were announcing that 56 nations are attacking ISIS, I'm like, dude, you're feeding into their, yeah. their theology. They're actually yeah. excited about that. Watch out. That's right. Yeah, they want the what, what they would call the Romans, right? The the, the, the Crusaders yeah. and what have you will come attack us. We know we're going to win if you do that. Yep, yep. It's uh, definitely worthwhile to educate ourselves as as uh, Westerners. Yep. yep, in this yes, in this sir. underlying theology matters. Yeah, the the underlying theology. Right. I hope the uh, Western uh, troops and Western military really educate themselves in theology, not just history, because uh, you don't know what you're battling. I mean, why do you think Iran is hung up on the idea of having nuclear power? Mm. Because they want to annihilate Israel. I mean, that's what they want to do. And they Mm -hmm. feel like that's the way we're going to bring in war to the region and the Mahdi will show up. Yeah, right. It's all it's all for uh, it's all for purpose, purpose and reason. And they play the long exactly. game, all these guys, right? They, they're, they're in it for the long haul. They're, nothing's going to change their mind. But that's why, I mean, I said something. What you, you tell me if this is a valid way to put it. I said the only way to stop a terrorist is with the gospel. Amen. I mean, ultimately. Amen. Right? I mean, you can stop one guy or uh, a, a group of guys, but the, the, it will persist uh, in, the, in the minds of their followers. You'll just have a new one pop up to replace them. You have a new Al, Al, al-Baghdadi, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> right. So we're talking to al uh, Fide today, um, our brother in the Lord. Your ministry is called Sira International. What is that about? What does that stand for, number one, and what is it about? Yeah. So I accepted Christ in 2001, and between 2001 and 2007, um, you know, give or take, I was being asked to go and teach at churches, very simple teaching. You know, we called it the Islam Seminar at that time, just 
here's what Islam teaches. And, uh, and then slowly and gradually, I started to tell, okay, so here's what Muslims going to tell you when you share the gospel with them. And slowly and gradually, I got discipled into apologetics. And I fell in love with the uh, apologetic, uh, basically, ministry. Here's how you can help a Muslim get over these objections. And a little that I knew that even some believers lack uh, the proper doctrinal training. So it was kind of like a two-step process, training the believers first on these doctrines and then helping them now share the truth with Muslims. And then I started it to appear on satellite program in 2007 all the way to 2011, mainly in Arabic. And then I started it to do English program in between 2010 and 2012. And I fell in love really with the fact that when you do English programming, you are reaching the majority of Muslims. Now, your audience probably don't know this, but out of the 1.6 billion Muslims in the world, probably about 300 million only that are native Arabs that even may know how to access the Islamic sources, the primary sources in Arabic, may even know how to understand the Quranic language. The rest are just uh, speaking different languages, and obviously English is primarily the second language in most of these areas. So that's why I do things in English also, because I want to reach them. I have a heart for these Muslims that do not know Arabic, and here I am, an Arab from Saudi, the heartland of Islam, and I'm telling him, run for your life. Jesus is the way. <laughs> you know? so, so, so that's where the birth of Sira came about in 2010, we, uh, I lost my engineering job. I was an engineer. Uh, you know, I left a lucrative job, to be honest with you, simply because following Christ worth it all. I mean, it's just there is nothing uh, that can compare. And uh, the calling was very clear that I want you and I want you full time. Mm. And since 2010, uh, I became a full time missionary. We wanted to come up with a professionally, uh, you know, organized um, you know, ministry and a name that go along with that. So CIRA stands for the Center for Islamic Research and Awareness. And then later we shortened it to CIRA uh, to make it kind of like easier for people to remember. And we added international because we discovered through media we are reaching the world, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, YouTube, uh, you know, I just checked the uh, stats just uh, the other day. Uh, since 2016, we have uh, in excess of 6 million views already. Mm. Uh, we are approaching a total of 1 million views per year now, uh, praise God. Uh, yes. so, so definitely international represents the global outreach. And CIRA really deals with one thing, teaching. That's my passion. And teaching is done in a variety of ways. It's done in, in person. And obviously due to COVID, we do it via webinars and uh, Zoom and things like that. I also like to train the young generation pastors and ministers at Bible colleges, uh, wherever the Lord opened the door for me to do that. And then I like to do discipleship. So I do it also via Bible studies. I have a Bible study that's going on right now in Arabic, where many former Muslims are joining. And then media becomes now the mega part of what I do. And we do both Arabic and English programming, by the way. Uh, for instance, I have an Arabic Facebook page that we launched last year, and we're feeding it some contents. And today I have a meeting with the team, and we're going to start adding more content. We're going to start launching our YouTube channel in Arabic next year. Awesome. And we have just started it, our Arabic radio show, uh, believe it or not. And uh, nice. we have the English side of things also, which is the YouTube, the Facebook uh, side of things, which definitely is... Uh, 
uh, you know, I am years ahead of the Arabic already because that's what I started it with in the first place. And, uh, uh, you know, there is hunger in the English-speaking world for these kind of things. And there is freedom that allows people to interact with you versus an Arab world. All right. Amen. And let's pray uh, for that with with you, right, for this Arabic channel um, to succeed. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Boy, we do need that. And I'm with you. I mean, obviously, your your heart is plain and simple about uh, who who the Lord is having you to reach. Not that you would ever uh, say only these people, please. Um, but that's where your heart is, and that's the Lord has put that in you. And uh, it's part of mine as well, because we never want to, God forbid, think that someone is not worthy of salvation, because that's, boy, talk about something that's not in God's will and not God's heart. Um, that's it. So how can we how can we uh, fight against that? I, I wanted to ask, it was kind of a weird question. I don't know if anyone has ever brought this up to you, obviously, because of your background. How do today, knowing knowing who you are and what you believe and so forth, do you have any bad treatment coming from uh, Arab Muslims generally? Um, yes. I mean, it, um, it comes with the territory, brother. I mean, it, there is no escape from that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You are a traitor. You left our faith. And on top of this, you're actually a sellout. You're, you're having YouTube channel. You speak out against your family. Uh, you speak out against us when, in fact, that's not what we do. We talk about the ideology, not the people. Right. We do it because we love the people and we want them to come to Christ. And then, of course, they can begin to tell you, oh, so you're making millions of dollars. I, I joke with them. I say, man, uh, that check have yet to make it to my bank account. Do you know what it is? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I've <laughs> but, heard but that one, that's too. A, that's a t- that's uh, that's how they shame you. I mean, it's an honor and shame, and they want to shame you, make you feel embarrassed. And, uh, you know, um, it, when you're in the media for a long time, brother, and you get punches like this all the time, you grow thick skin, yeah. and it becomes part of your identity now in ministry. And you're like, bring it on, man. Yeah. Hey, I mean, after, after they punch you, uh, the next question would be, thank you. Did you uh, listen to my argument? Yeah. And do right. you have any questions? Exactly. The, the one that I keep seeing many times on your um, videos or, or things that you put out is, that I've seen anyway, is you were never a Muslim to begin with. You're a phony. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm never a Muslim. I'm never an Arab, you know. And, yeah, uh, his I'm accent. Like, that's now, the I'm, best. It's like you could tell his accent is too good. I'm like, what? <laughs> he speaks English well. That's okay. I'll give you that. Uh, but because of that, yeah. he was never a believer. It's weird. Anyways. I'm trying to speak broken English, man. I haven't been able to do <laughs> yeah, that. You're yet. very bad at that. You're terrible <laughs> at broken English, Alfad. You got to get get better at that immediately. Um, and my and similar to that, obviously, I expected that uh, answer. But uh, have you ever experienced, any, at least outwardly, or maybe not outwardly, any fear or racism from non-Arab Christians? I did. Uh, early on, uh, when I came to the States, believe it or not, I did experience things like this. Uh, in fact, I look back, you know, today, there were a couple of job opportunities that I lost over things like this as well. It's kind of really uh, sad, uh, honestly, when you think about it. Mm. Um, you know, the company, um, again, God used that uh, for good because it was the last company that I was working for that they uh, shut down their office, but yet uh, literally Six of us who are foreigners, all of us lost our job, and only others were offered positions. And uh, I look back and I say, 
well, I'm glad I wasn't living in these days because I probably, uh, in the flesh, I would have fought it and probably even won, you know, something. But God used that immediately to tell me, see, I want you to serve me. And you look back and you feel sad for, you know, those kind of people who probably are still suffering through things like this. But yes, systematic racism does exist everywhere. I'm not trying to uh, side by this group or that group. Mm -hmm. It does exist, but that's human nature. That's human nature. What what are we to say about that other than knowing the cause, which is sin? It, that's it. That's how you're right. This is this is how Satan uh, will will keep his influence in folks, even who maybe are believers, uh, to think, hey, yeah. you know what? Let's let's keep this going. Uh, but only through the Lord will you can we overcome that. Um, personal kind of question, um, and I hope many others have it. The same question, which is, I have a mosque in my town. What is the most effective? Well, should we be all engaging our local mosque uh, and, and the imams in them? You, you could. I mean, I know of ministries that do exactly that. Uh, one way uh, to connect with the mosque leaders and have a dialogue with them. But, you know, you wonder what, how effective that might be. Um, the other one is going during the Juma prayer and standing on the sidewalks and just interacting with the Muslims, sometimes giving them copies of Bibles or giving them brochures or inviting them to things. Another way is to try to use that opportunity and the connection is to invite them to, let's say, um, uh, you know, interfaith dialogues, although in my humble opinion, they're ineffective. Uh, but uh, all that to say is that there are ways to keep the communication channel open. You know, that's, right. that's one way to do it. Uh, engage immigrants in your neighborhood. Engage immigrants at your workplace. Engage immigrants at the marketplaces because they have, depending where you live, sometimes they have large presence, you know, of uh, marketplaces, supermarkets, you know, stuff that is, uh, you know, from their region, and uh, even restaurants, you know, uh, you can always do that. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have to pray how effective this would be. Uh, do you leave them with a copy of something that helps them contact you? Do you respect right. the secrecy uh, and the privacy and say, I know this might be risky to you, but I would love really to hear from you privately and let's talk about these issues. Uh, I, you know, you can say, I want to know more about your faith and see uh, what are the areas where we overlap and what are the things that we can interact about and then talk about who's following really the truth. They can't, they can't be two truths. There has to be one uh, way to the truth. Amen. Well, I hope we would engage at some, at some point. What, what, obviously, you're, you're talking about immigrants because many uh, Muslims that we would encounter in the West come from another place, but some don't. Um, there are, you know, born and bred American folks who are converting to Islam. And I know, again, in my town, I'm not just uh, making the, you know, reaching for that. I can t- testify to it. Um, how would that differ, uh, if, if, if at all, in, in your experience? Do you have experience in that? Uh, is there a difference? What do, you, what do you tell folks? And, and I'm sorry, I lost the first part. Uh, oh, in terms of what? I'm sorry. Uh, in terms of someone who's not an immigrant, but who's a native, you know, an American uh, through and through, but has now converted to Islam. How do you address oh, that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that, that's a tough one, actually. Um, um, you know, here is the uh, underlining uh, cause. You know, you talk to someone who become a follower of Islam from a Westerner uh, side of uh, point of view. They'll, they'll claim they were Christians. That's number one. Number two, they'll claim that 
they were deceived uh, because they thought there was something called Trinity, and it turned out to be three gods. They didn't realize the Bible has been corrupted, and that Jesus never said he's God. I mean, the, the, the usual arguments. When you start asking him, so um, can you point out these passages to me that cause you confusion? Hmm. quickly discover that they don't even know how to open the Bible in the first place, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. they've never even read something like this. They didn't even study on anything like this. It's a systematic failure in discipleship. That's very much what it is. And uh, oftentimes they fell in love with Islam because it's just a, a, a community structure. You know, hey, you have friends, uh, you're offered food, you're offered job, multiple wives. Who, who would turn something like that yeah. down, right? You know, right. and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, fleshly things that are being fed, and they use the excuse of the fact that they were deceived by Christianity. Uh, you know, just uh, two days ago, I think Brother Sam Shimon uh, had someone uh, who was from a background like this convert to Islam, and I think he left Islam on the show, I think. Mm. Uh, you know, so people might go and, and just Google Sam Shimon. But uh, you need to really meet them at their level and say, okay, so let's start with what caused you confusion. You're saying you're a Christian. And you are convinced that you're a Christian when you left and came to, to Christ, uh, to Islam. First of all, there is no such thing as being a Christian leaving Christ. Were you saved? That's the question. Maybe you thought you're a Christian, but were you saved? Were you a born-again believer? Did you ever confess Christ as Lord and Savior? You see, you mm-hmm. want to start challenging mm-hmm. their background. Number two, where... Do you find it in the Bible confusing? You said the Trinity. Okay, well, go ahead and show me. Why were you confused? Tell me which part of the Bible uh, confused you about the Trinity. And let them squeak. You know, they're going to start showing you that they don't know nothing. Mm. What about Christ being deity? You know, what is your understanding Mm -hmm. of that? You know, how would that look like? Because if you read the Bible, understanding of deity is a whole different story than Jesus just saying a statement, you know? And and so this is how we need to do it, you know? Obviously, uh, you need to, you know, really, you have to sympathize with them because I tell you, uh, the reason why they end up following Islam is a systematic failure at the church level in discipling young generations. Mm. And I want to say it again, systematic failure at the church level for discipling young generation. Churches are all about music and fun, mm. and that's where it ends, sadly. Mm. That's a, that's a challenge, though, buddy. Uh, let's let's leave it there uh, because I know we you have a, you are very I busy just man. Lost all of my sponsors. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay because no one heard this, so you're fine. Uh, <laughs> this is unsealed, by the way. Uh, Al Fadi, our, our honored guest today. If I had some Malaysian food to give him, I would. But it's all gone. Um, not yet, but it will be soon. So one last thing before we go, we will be collaborating. Like you said, we had an online conference. Um, last October called the Gospel of the Kingdom to Muslims. I thought it went very, very well. A lot of excited uh, folks uh, attend and take away some very valuable information. We're going to be doing it again um, this October. So um, I would ask you folks, the listeners, to pray into that. And uh, if you're led to uh, maybe help in some way, reach out to to myself uh, here, Christopher, at wingsoftheeagle.com or Alfadi, of course, directly. But um, we'd love your prayer support in that because we think it could reach a lot of folks and do a lot of good. And that's the point, I think, of everything um, that Alfadi does and that I try to do, uh, which is that leverage. I have a similar story to yours in that you know, one day you, you'll just get pulled out of secular, the secular world, work world, 
and say, look, I, I want you to work for me. Oh, that's cool. Amen. You know, how is that going to work? You know, he doesn't tell you maybe everything about it, uh, but you know what you heard, right? You know what he told you to do, and all you have to do is do it. Just be faithful uh, in it, and uh, he will be more than gracious uh, in return. Uh, so, my brother, I thank you, man. You, you are very gracious with your time. Um, uh, any, any parting thoughts uh, for the folks here before we, before we say goodbye for now? Well, I mean, really. What I want people to know is that it's not an accident that God is bringing um, non-believers uh, from different backgrounds, especially from different nations, and especially from an Islamic background, to your neighborhood, or to your workplace, or to the marketplace. So capitalize on that. God has a purpose for them, and also it's a go-to ministry, meaning we're commanded to go and make disciples. So we have a responsibility to bear as well. Number two, it's really about discipleship. For the believers to be able to stand in the face of oppositions, to be able to tear down strongholds, and to be able to share the truth as well in love. We want to share the truth in love. We're not there to yell at people. We're not there to scream at people. And again, every one of us have a calling. My calling is media and apologetic. Don't, don't use me as the model, you know. God is equipping you in your own way, and all of us have the same Holy Spirit who is going to uh, impart to us the different gifts. So let's use these gifts wisely. And again, I mean, I said something about the church, of course. What I'm saying is the broader church in general, that's where the failure from. There are wonderful mm-hmm. churches who are focused on sharing the truth and discipling people. I wish the broader church will do the same. And you can imagine how strong of a hold we will have on the truth and how impressive it will be in the face of oppositions that we are standing on the foundation of the Bible and the truth of Christ. Amen. Brother Al-Fadi, uh, reach out to him at sirainternational.com. Oh, man. Praise God. Thank you, brother. We'll speak to you soon, my friend. The Lord is coming soon. Amen. Thank you. Brother. previous episodes, resources, and to support this ministry, visit unsealedpodcast.com. So thank you so much. Because yes, of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved.